as an actuary, um, as a mathematician, uh, also by training, uh, it might surprise you, but the key message I want to leave you with today is that people are more important than numbers. Um, the inspiration for my talk really comes from a couple of things. It comes from being stuck in that sort of home office, that home library during COVID. Um, I'd often been asked for career advice by people wanting to set up in investment management. I looked at all these books that I was surrounded by every day, and I thought, wouldn't it be good if someone could summarize these uh, neatly? Uh, I guess it's what Blinkist does for a living, but the idea you could somehow summarize what you'd learned. But what struck me was that the things that were exciting me the most today were things like psychology, how our minds work, how we behave. And these were all the things that would have made it much more um, easy to understand the concepts I started off learning, like economics, trading, uh, and all the sort of valuation techniques, which actually make no sense if you don't understand the people element that goes into them. The second inspiration came from trying to design products for younger investors. I spent a lot of time speaking to people born in the 80s, which to me is young, uh, but asking them about financial services and what they wanted from it. And you basically get two groups. You get the people who don't care at all. Uh, they'll take default super quite happily. And you get this other group of people who we thought were our potential customers, but with the advent of Dr. Google and the likes, young people today want to do things for themselves. So these young people actually want to learn how to invest rather than necessarily have us invest for them. So that inspired me further to think about how could you make investing easy, given that most of us have learned about investing in the wrong order. So behavioral finance, um, if we used to stand at Platinum, we used to talk about behavioral finance 20 years ago when I first joined and it was quite novel. Today, everyone knows about behavioral finance. However, there is a catch. Um, Kahneman and Tversky shot to fame after the GFC. Thinking Fast and Slow became a top-selling book. And then, now that everyone knew everything about behavioral finance, we had the Bitcoin bubble, we had the bubble in unprofitable technology companies, we had rates below zero for a prolonged period, and lo and behold, uh, that wasn't such a sensible party to join near the end. So we know about behavioral finance, but do we practice behavioral finance? The key tenet is simply, we were put on this planet to survive and to try and pass on our genes. And that manifests itself in a number of things, friend or foe, fight or flight, fear of loss, fear of missing out, pain of exclusion, etc. The way we've solved this, the survival thing, is we've decided to form ourselves into tribes. And just like domestic pets, we've all become very complicit crowd pleasers. There is another catch. The best investors are generally contrarian. So what I want you to do is I want you to think about embracing uncertainty as an opportunity. It's the hardest part of investing. It's all the things that behavioral finance talks to. It's very hard for us to imagine a different future to what we see today. It's the availability bias. It's the recency bias. As humans, we overreact to negative news. Kahneman talks about the, the two to one ratio of the pain of a coin toss. So when there is a setback, we can only do well if we become resilient and we can adapt to, say, tempor temporariness. So a good example of a setback that was temporary recently was the effects of COVID on travel. You needed to be resilient. You needed to believe that things would come back. We also underreact to change, and we see that a lot in technology, a misunderstanding of exponential growth. So lots of opportunities in new areas, and something like the carbon transition today is a good example of that. We're in a room here where we celebrate conviction, 
but it's actually the dispersion of views and uncertainty that creates bigger opportunities for us. So the message is that setbacks and change can be a happy hunting ground. We have to understand why a company has the capacity to recover and then to thrive. And why is that more likely than other people think? So we're dealing with this complex intersection between the facts and the feelings of the market. It's that psychology component which is absolutely key. Investing is all about mentality and it's all about going where the crowd is the most uncomfortable. So what I want you to do today is reflect on your own training. This profession has been grounded on number-centric training. We learn about economics, we learn about finance, we learn about accounting. There are about 200,000 chartered financial analysts in the world. There are about 10,000 listed companies that are liquid enough to invest in. So that's a ratio of 20 to one. It's a rugby squad of analysts for every listed company that exists. You will not get an edge by building a better forecast or a better model, but you will create an aura of certainty in a world that is full of an infinite number of possibilities. Investing is not a high school math test. The problem with a high school math test is you can get 100%. In investing, you might be doing well if you get about half of things right. You have to learn to deal with being right and being wrong. So while our professional training is number-centric, I want to stress that numer numeracy is a language or a tool. It's not the be-all and end-all. When we go looking for analysts, we look for two things. We look for people who are curious, and we look for people who love business. That is not looking for people who love numbers. So I want to reframe investing to you as people-centric. What do companies do? Companies solve problems for people. What are profits? Profits are the value created for people over the cost of producing the good or the service. Companies are collections of people with a purpose augmented by land and capital. They are adaptive, they live, they evolve, they change, and they respond to other groups of people, their suppliers, their customers, their competitors, their regulators. Their shares are priced by a market, which is a collection of people. It's all about people. It's all about thinking about this in a different way. So reframing is about taking something you believe and looking at it in a different way. I had real problems recently when I phoned a bank who had some special interest rate on, and I was asking the guy on the phone if I could lend him some money. And he was confused because he wanted me to save with him, and I couldn't get past the fact I was wanting to lend him some of my excess savings. So we sort of reached a bit of an impasse. It was a bit of an unfulfilling phone call, but it was about reframing the problem that we were trying to solve. I had excess savings. He wanted to borrow them from me. So we need to keep thinking about things in a different way. Investing well requires empathy. Someone uh, rather famous in this field, Warren Buffett, talked about IQ beyond a certain level not being necessary. It's all about temperament. So when we're dealing with these collection of people in a marketplace, it's conceptual. It's an artificial construct. But it's collections of professional investors, insiders, retail investors, traders. But for us to buy a stock, someone has to want to sell it to us. And at that point in time, we have to be willing to pay more for it than anyone else. So it's quite an interesting starting point. You may have heard of the winner's curse, but every time you buy a stock, you're effectively exposing yourself to the winner's curse. You've got to understand why at that point in time, you're willing to pay more for this opportunity than anyone else. 
and someone specifically wants to sell it to you. John Maynard Keynes had the beauty contest where rather than asking people who is the most beautiful person in this lineup, he asked people, who do you think other people think is the most beautiful in this lineup? And that's what markets are like. It's not first order thinking, but it's thinking about the views of others. So in order to do well, you need to be empathetic. You need to acknowledge others, anticipate them, ask the right questions, debate openly, embrace diverse views. So what I tried to do and to resolve the fact that this was all about people, yet I'd learned it the wrong way around, was to build a simple learning model. And what we'll call that is the case study of one. Each of you is one person. I am one person. So let's start by understanding ourselves. How can you predict a complex economic system if you can't understand yourself? So understand yourself, then understand couples, understand teams, understand, and, and look, I manage a team of 34 people. It's pretty hard to understand what each of them are up to at any point in time. Relationships add complexity. And I spoke about that here a few years ago. But let's start with one as a model and then build from there. Let's invert the conventional problem that people are trying to solve. And my illustration of this comes through uh, the concept of investing for life. I created a podcast series to try and showcase this model. So looking at myself as a case study, I looked at my own setbacks and the changes that I had to face. The key for me was in 2018 when I was in Boston on a business trip. You might say I was burning the candle at both ends, but I felt particularly unwell and I took myself to the hospital emergency room. When my 10-year-old daughter called me uh, to ask if I was going to die, I would say it was one of these kind of wake-up moments that starts getting you uh, reappraising the way that you live your life. We then had COVID, uh, the loss of travel, and I know everyone was affected by COVID, but my life had revolved around traveling for business and then using uh, my spare time to, to travel uh, for personal purposes, and I felt a big sense of loss. So there was a lot of recalibration that needed to take place. For me, it was cutting out alcohol. It's a better diet. It was more learning and trying to be more present and take exercise. So that was my model, and it gave me the inspiration to look at the model for other successful Australian-based people and to see how they have dealt with setbacks and changes in their own life. So this is what I put to you as the model of one and trying to see how human beings res respond to setbacks and to change. There's a collection of, of the guests from my podcast series on the screen just now. I've explored uh, different things with 25 different people over the last 18 months. But we've covered a wide range of topics from illness, injury, sexuality, uh, relationship breakdowns, loss of parents, miscarriages, boredom, prejudice, bullying, and more. All of these people that I interviewed showed that they had the tenacity to respond. They had the resilience and the ability to bounce back. Now, not everyone does, and that's important because when we take this model and we apply it to companies, we find that not every company has the resilience to bound back. Not every company has the tenacity to come back from the setbacks that they have to deal with. It's the same for industries and potentially for economies. The problems they face are different, but this concept is really important if you want to understand analyzing how businesses operate. And I think it's important to try and shift people's thinking because I think as a profession, we need to attract new talent. The investment profession has been based predominantly on economics, on finance, on accounting. As I look around the room, and I'm sure if we look online, there's an imbalanced cohort, particularly by gender. But the key skills in this industry 
our psychology, their philosophy, their understanding how things work, their understanding history. To do well in this industry, it's about understanding people. So there's no way that this industry should be so male-dominated. It should be more broad, and we need to reframe not only the problem we're trying to solve, but we need to reframe the skill set that we need to reflect reality and to look at the success that we're trying to achieve and make it a more appealing industry and profession to a broader group. How can we assess the market view, which is the view of all people, without having a diverse perspective ourselves? So I want to summarize the best opportunities I think are found where the tribe is at its least comfortable. This is when the future is most uncertain. And as I've said to you, we should be hunting around setbacks and hunting around change. But we need a systematic approach to that. And if we start by learning the numerical side of things and we miss the people side of things till later, we're not going to find this an easy problem to solve. It's a hard enough problem when we start with the people first and the numbers second, but it's definitely the way that I think we should look at the world.